I'm Allegra Levy, and you're listening to the Scout Archives, the place where I have the privilege of introducing you to groundbreaking artists who also happen to be wonderful people. For more information on the guests or to nominate someone, head to our website, www.thescoutarchives.com. You can also follow us on social media at the handle The Scout Archives. And you can reach out to me on Instagram at Levy Allegra. Now let's introduce this month's guest. Emily Louch has always been enigmatic to me. When I first met her in my freshman spring semester at Emerson College, I was sure she was an older student because of the way she carried herself. I was in awe of just how together her life seemed. When asked to create a me project, a performance with no words that still told the class who we were, Emily shared a poem, a bulleted list she had accumulated over 100 days, based on a Nick Sturm poem that described perfectly who she was. That list only left me more intrigued. In our academic classes, Emily would speak her mind with such eloquence and confidence that made me sure I was in the wrong class. However, in our acting classes, Emily would bear all and express her mess for us all to see with an ease. While I envied these qualities, I also realized then just how similar we both were. How the lives we show the world and our realities are completely contrasting. I will never forget the crying speech she once gave to our acting class about how much she, quote, just fucking missed the mountains, end quote. It was sans eloquence and it was still somehow perfection. She was thrilling to watch or listen to. While we spent almost every day together in class that last semester of freshman year, our friendship did not flourish until after we parted ways and were left with sporadic meetings and long text messages to each other about love, art, and our shared struggles with depression and anxiety. Now that Emily is living life post-college and back in nature, she has a new relationship to poetry and acting and new epiphanies about what travel has meant to her. She may be as far away from the moon as ever before, but she continues to feel its presence as if it were seated next to her. And I realize that just like the cosmos and the galaxies, the more I know about Emily, the more there is to discover. Um, would you like to state your name? Yes, my name is Emily Louch. And where are we today? We are in Los Angeles, uh, in the state of California, at uh, Alcove Cafe and Bakery, one of my favorite little spots. And how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good today. It's the first good day in a while. No coincidence that you're here, I think. It's my uh, weird energetic relationship to the universe. I'm feeling good. I feel like myself. Good. So, we met in Languages of the Stage class. Is that right? No, oh. not really. I guess not. Because we met in Melissa Healy's class. But that was... Were those both second semester? Yes, they were. So we sort of met in both, but second semester right. in, in both of... Yeah, Eric Weiss and Melissa Healy. Of our first year at Emerson College in Boston. <laughs> we were both like, what's happening here? Yeah, we were both like, this is weird. Um, we don't like school. <laughs> um, and I'm just gonna, okay, I'm just gonna start with, I always thought that you were older than me. And I always thought you were so cool and pretty. But I honestly had never seen you until second semester. I 
feel like I have a similar relation to you. I remember seeing you in class and thinking, like, why is this person in a freshman class? That's so funny. And I think people sort of, I mean, I don't know if you want to put this in there or not, but I think the people at Emerson, like, would judge people like us in the same way. Um, because I think that we look put together on the outside. And I felt like I, like, clocked that in you. Yes. And totally. I like, totally. That's not verbal. No, no, no. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Because I also always tried to look the best so I could feel better about my situation. And I don't know. It got me through it, I suppose. But, um... I'm going to skip to... Okay, I'm going to skip to this because since we're on this topic, um, you... We had to do a project in Languages of the Stage class, and for those who don't know what Languages of the Stage class is, it was a class where we had to basically discuss all aspects of a stage performance. So we had to, like... Didn't we have to... We had to make our own, like, production, didn't we? Yeah, at the end we staged scenes. And someone was a lighting designer, someone was a costume designer, actors... I was costumes... I directed. Were we in the same? We were in the same group, right? I thought we were. Um, Tennessee Williams. No. I had. Um, I had Alex a, Hanscom in it. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. But you were the director for sure. Yes, I was. I was. I had something else. Because I know that he was sort of like, don't do like. I, I was not going to be an actor because that was what I did. Maybe. But we had to create, in the very beginning of the class, we had to make a like three to five minute presentation or something, and it involved no talking, and it had to showcase who we were, right? Wasn't yeah. that what it was? Yeah. It was no talking. Because yes. I remember mine was a PowerPoint presentation with captions. It was so lame and awful, <laughs> but he was like, it could be anything. Um, but you made a bulleted list of, I don't even remember what it was, but it was so it caused such a stir in the class. Everyone was like, this girl is crazy intelligent. But what was it? So, okay, I did have to go and do a little bit of research because I wish that I could take credit for that format and that idea, but it's actually from Nick Sturm's um, poem, which is called A Basic Guide to Autobiography. Um, And that poem was shared with me by one of my professors who now is a dear friend of mine and poetry mentor, um, John Taylor. And basically Nick wrote this poem where he numbered a list one to 100 and each bullet is some part of yourself. And um, John suggested that I try to write something like that and over 100 days, I I would try to write one thing a day. Um, and it just sort of became this, like, mix of what I was hearing or what I was saying or what I was thinking about. Um, and it was kind of silly and kind of sad. And now I look at it, and it's kind of like a time capsule of because it... Like, if I need to show someone who I am, I pull out that poem. Wow. But it's also more like, 
who I was in that moment. And I, I later did another one that is a love poem version of that concept where I did 365 days. And that was my, like, year anniversary gift to someone. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's where that comes from. It's That was not my idea, and then I just sort of did my own with my own life. And I think what I did was I passed it around because I wasn't allowed to speak, so I couldn't read it. Yeah, I think we all read a bullet. Everybody in the class read a bullet and we went around because yeah. you weren't allowed to talk. And everyone was, like, so shook by it. It was great. I loved it. I was like, this girl is for real. <laughs> um, okay, well, that's a great introduction to really my first question that I had on the list. When did you know that you were an artist? When did you know that you were uh, a writer and an actor and a director? A great many things, but an artist overall. This is the hardest question you could ask me. <laughs> Do we ever really think that we're artists? Like, do we ever really believe that we're artists? I don't know. Um, I think if I break it down to actor, writer, I I knew I was an actor at a very young age. I used to like make these videos where I would make my brothers dress up and perform things with me. Um, I did little acting classes, and by the time I got to middle and high school I felt that I could say that I was an actor and I was thinking about studying and pursuing that and I never really thought about doing anything else I think I used to want to be a veterinarian because I loved cats so much and then I realized that you had to deal with sick and dying cats and so that was off the table um, <laughs> and as for writer that has been a different journey because acting was sort of like a given in my life. I was like, I, this is me, this is what I do. And I never considered myself a writer um, until the end of freshman year at Emerson. And I would really attribute that to John. Um, he encouraged me in, a, in such a specific way and referred to me as a writer and said that the world needed to hear what I had to say and I really took that to heart and then I started to really write and and I thought about my writing differently it wasn't just me processing my thoughts just for me it became something that felt like self-expression and I entertained for the next four years maybe sharing my writing and that was very hard for me because I didn't consider myself a writer and I've just started submitting things and doing things. The first time I read my poetry aloud was after freshman year. I was so over my experience. I got on a plane from Boston to Paris and on my 19th birthday, my aunt took me to this little sort of speakeasy um, just outside the city, and people were getting up and reading their poetry, and I thought, oh, well, half these people don't even speak English. I'll test out my poetry on them, and I read my poetry there, and from that moment, I felt like it was something I wanted 
to focus on. Would you ever, and have you, um, written a script of some sort? I desperately would like to write screenplays. Um, I think I need to take some classes, perhaps, or work with someone who can teach me a little bit more about how to translate my writing style into a screenplay. I tried to write one. I did write it. It was sort of like a therapeutic experience more than anything. And I showed it to a friend who is actually a director. And he said, this is beautiful writing, but it's not a movie. It's a poem or maybe a book. And I thought it a little bit and said, no, it's just I, I'm taking artistic liberties. And he said, yes, but you need to include direction and plot and things that are translatable to a person holding a camera. And I didn't have that in there. And so I think I need more, I need to funnel my thoughts into the correct structure, but I am very interested in writing. Is there a topic in particular that you would write a feature about or a pilot or, I don't know, a book even? Some of the ideas that I, I have these ideas and then I pull out my phone and I put them in a little note, but I really want to write about being queer in 2019 and I or even like a historical piece that is about queer women um, I've had a few ideas that revolve around like intimate relationships between friends that turn into something more um, I think that that's really interesting I I think that that is, without giving away my secret little ideas that have not become anything yet, that's definitely the subject matter that I would want to write about. Um, you are very talented at poetry, writing poetry. So I would like to know what your process is with writing a poem, what do you look for, um, and how you know that a piece is finished when it's finished. <laughs> I I think I'm kind of a lunatic poet my poems come together like little Frankenstein monsters um, I think similar to the, my bulleted list um, I take snippets and I put them together I am a collector of rocks and pine cones and stories and snippets of things that people say um, and I think more than a writer I'm a collector and then I go around collecting and I try to stitch those things together or they they come together it, it, all of a sudden in the middle of the night I'm lying there and things start to arrange and it's like, this might sound weird and scientific, but it's like I've put a bunch of things in a room together, things and people and stories that don't necessarily belong together. And then I sort of wait to see what happens and something happens. And then in the middle of the night, 
something just taps me on the shoulder. Uh, I look at the moon a lot. I would say the moon is my biggest inspiration. That's usually I'm usually staring at the moon when I then put pen to paper. Interesting. Is there a theme in a lot of your poetry that comes up again? Like, is the moon... Does that get into your poetry a lot? Yeah, I would say the moon is in there a lot. Um, she shows up a lot. I think that... Um, I've also got some... I said Frankenstein's monster, but I, I'm sort of thinking now that there is a bit of a surgical theme to my process. I think some of that comes out in the writing itself. Uh, Dante Collins, who is a poet, a wonderful black queer poet who I admire, has this line where he says, uh, they say, um, do you still perform autopsies on conversations you had lives ago? And I think that that's a really beautiful way that I would sum up at least part of my writing process is performing autopsies um, taking myself and other people apart and stitching them back together and I think that theme also shows up on the page How do you know when it's done? To be honest, I never really feel like it's done. Um, they never feel done. And I think that a good piece of writing goes on speaking from beyond the grave, even to the author. Not to say that my writing is so good because it doesn't feel done, but I feel like at first, in like first impression, I always, I mean, you are a very intelligent person, but I always was like, she's extremely book smart, not to say that you weren't street smart, but I didn't know how, um, every, everything seemed very cut and dry when you would speak. I think it's just because you speak so eloquently, but, um, I know that you have a very wired brain in a lot of ways and you think a lot. I can just, I feel that, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but have you ever felt like your logic has hindered your ability to be emotional in acting or in writing or in any kind of art that you do? I'm not laughing at your question. I'm laughing at myself because I really don't consider myself a remotely logical person. I understand how I could come off that way but in here it's like Pan's Labyrinth I think that I am one of the most irrational weirdos um, and maybe I have the warped perception of myself but I I think it's a facade <laughs> I think it's I think it's a facade of control and if I've learned anything from writing poetry and acting and art, it's that I don't know anything and nothing makes sense. Wow. Including my own brain. 
but I do think that overthinking can get in the way for me more with acting than writing. Right. It's very hard for me to let go or submit in life and art. Um, I remember in one of the classes where I met you, uh, our professor referred to me belovingly as a runny egg of a human being. I remember that. Oh my god. Wait, is that when we had to read those things? That, the, um, they were poems, poems, poems. too. They were poems, too. Yeah. They were poems, too. I think I've been trying to embrace that ever since. I am a runny egg of a human being. Wow. It's so interesting, because I always, because you had such a director's brain to me, I was like, oh, she is a director. Even though I knew you were a great actor, I was just like, oh, God, she sees things in such... Maybe it's just the way that you spoke, and just it seemed like you were very clear about everything, and everything had an equation to it, and a formula, and an answer. That I... And I didn't kind of have the opportunity to see you act so much, because in that voice class, it was so, like... It was, like, us humming for, like, like three hours and, like, wearing all black and then, like, talking about our feelings. And then, like, the day was over. <laughs> and I actually didn't get to see you act, even though I knew that you were a great actor. So that's just why I asked that. I do want to comment on that because I think you observed me perfectly. And I truly believe that up until maybe the last few months I did think that everything was very cut and dry. I had myself very defined. I had rules. I had direction. I knew what I liked. I knew what I didn't like. I knew what I was interested in. I knew my position on A, B, and C and him, her, and them and that was that. And the universe was like, you can't go through life pretending you know anything. I have spent the last six months effectively dissolving all of that. I mean, I guess maybe more than six months, but it really feels like in the last six months, I have stripped away everything that I knew about myself and the world and it has been incredibly painful because then you're left with nothing but now I'm starting to see that the nothing is freeing because I don't have the rules and I don't have to be disappointed because I haven't already decided everything before it's even happened does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does indeed. You now live in LA. You've lived in a lot of parts of the world. You lived in Colombia. You lived in Boston, Seattle. You spend a lot of time in Europe. Um, and I'm wondering, how has location changed your artwork? How have the people um, inspired your art in terms of where they are in the world? How have you changed with every place you're in? Because I know that you're also a very someone who takes to environment 
a lot. So yeah, that's my question. I'm really glad that you asked this question for a similar reason to the last one. I think that my answer would have been very different if you had even caught me a month ago. Um, my favorite part about LA is the myriad of art making that happens here. It feels like there is always something happening and I feel like being around so many different types of artists makes me a better one. Acting makes me a better writer, writing makes me a better actor, um, and being around people who do things that I don't do has been really beautiful for me. Like watching my friend at a DJ gig or watching someone paint their shirts or watching someone play guitar and sing. I have so many friends who do all kinds of beautiful things that I don't do and it really informs the musicality or the visuals of my work. Um, so that's what I really like about LA and then also the presence of nature. That's Nature is my church and um, I think that out here I'm pointing to Silver Lake, but out here we're dealing with uh, a never-ending landscape of inspiration, and that is the best part about being here for me. Um, the other part of that question was about travel, um, and that's the part that I think has changed. Travel has 100% formed me into the person that you're talking to. Um, but I'm actually taking a break from traveling right now. I had a moment a few months ago where I got some gut punch horrifying news. And as soon as I got off the phone, I was looking at one-way plane tickets. Anywhere. Not anywhere specific, just anywhere. It was compulsive and scary like an addiction like some it, it's how I imagine someone reaching for a bottle would feel and I should not conflate those things but that is what it felt like it it, it scared me um, and I called my aunt and talked to her about it and she started weeping and said it took me 30 years to realize that and she travels a lot in a very healthy truly fulfilling way but I think that my relationship with travel became disingenuous a friend of mine referred to traveling at least in terms of my situation as emotional cheat coding which is a ridiculous and reductionist thing to say, but kind of true. And I kind of loved that. Um, it may not look like it on Instagram, but a lot of my travels and moves have been attempts at escape. And 
these attempts happened at times when I felt so hollow that I needed to, or I felt that I needed to shock myself out of it. And if I could just go to this place that I had always dreamed of going or see this beautiful thing, that I wouldn't feel so empty. But that's not how depression works. So then I would find myself standing in front of these beautiful, beautiful places that I had dreamed of going, like Big Sur, California, um, or wandering around Paris, um, looking at these beautiful things and feeling absolutely nothing, which just made me feel 10 times worse. And that has inspired my art more than a lot of the places that I've gone. So I haven't gone on a trip since I got back from Colombia in August. And that's crazy for me to say. I mean, six months without traveling is like, that's de it's detox. It's, I'm trying to sit tight and um, build a community for myself in LA and in myself. But, can I keep talking? Yeah. <laughs> that being said, I have had some truly formative travel experiences that did feel very genuine. And those were experiences where I had a purpose in going, whether that purpose was to see someone I loved, to be with people, um, or to learn something. And those experiences have still been incredible. I, I mean, I, I'm talking most specifically about Cuba. Um, and I think that that is the place that I have gone where I felt most creatively stimulated in the world. Um, Happiness is only real when shared. I know it's a cliche, but it is so true. And uh, I think Colombia specifically felt very hollow because I didn't really meet people there. Bogota is like Manhattan in Latin America. It's so hard to break into the, the existing social circles. It's very elitist. Um, and I didn't really get outside of the city as much as I would have liked. And I wasn't really putting myself out there and trying to meet people. I was weirdly paralyzed. And the experience is already starting to fade in my mind because of that. There's nothing tangible to hold on to because I measure my travels and my experiences by the people that I met along the way or the people that I went there with and that I think is why Cuba was so impactful to me that island just has my heart I felt at home there and it feels like a real experience I can look at every day and and remember what I did on that day and remember how the food tasted and remember the joke that someone made or the word that I learned that day in Spanish. It's so crystal clear and it stays with me to the point that I went back twice afterwards because I just loved it so much. Um, yeah. You've always been very connected to nature. You kind of touched on it before. Uh, I remember you. we were in class and 
we had things called check-ins <laughs> where we had to <laughs> talk about our feelings, um, what was going on that day. We went around in a circle, and you could talk for as long or as little as you wanted. And I will never forget when you started crying and you said, I just want to go back to the mountains. I just love the mountains. And I was like, this poor girl, what is she doing in Boston? <laughs> every day for years it was so funny though almost like I was like oh god like this girl is just she just wants nature man (laughs) get her to the commons right now (laughs) but uh, I mean I guess it's because you're from the Pacific Northwest Um, you grew up around that how much of your art is inspired by nature why do you need it so much to thrive and be happy I mean it's kind of a mundane question. I suppose everyone feels that way. But personally to you, what is it about nature that makes you um, feel better and inspired? I think it's more than just Seattle. Because I do have a lot of friends who don't really have the same connection to nature as I do they've been totally fine moving to cities and they were never necessarily even that into hiking but I think for me part of it is to do with my relationship to my family and nature because my dad and my grandparents who are in their 80s and still hike every weekend and downhill ski yeah they have been dragging me up mountains since I could walk. They carried me on their backs before I could walk. And particularly with my dad, when we would go on a hike, that was the only time we could talk to each other. For some reason, when we were in the mountains, he felt like he could talk to me and I felt like I could talk to him. And I think I have a similar relationship to nature now. I am quite the introvert and prefer to be alone, but I never hike alone. Um, I hiked alone alone really for the first time this November when I went to like up this like crazy mountain and I almost fell. I pushed myself too far and I realized I didn't really know what my boundaries were. I had always hiked with other people or with my dad and when I was on my own I was scared to go farther up because I was alone but I didn't want to turn back because I thought oh if I was with someone else I wouldn't turn back I would keep going but it wasn't safe and and I exercised somewhat poor judgment and I slipped and if I had not caught my balance I would have fallen about 9,000 feet I was climbing up uh, ice and rock at a an angle that I'm showing you with my hand. A steep angle. Yeah. Uh, That was a hell of an antidepressant. And I turned around and went back down the mountain. And 
I think that part of what I love about hiking particularly and being in nature is that I like being in touch with my mortality. And I'm not sure I've fully unpacked that yet, but I know that. I like living in a place where I know that it could all go up in flames, volcanoes, tsunamis, earthquake tomorrow. I know that sounds insane. That's a reason that some people don't want to live in places like this or like Seattle. But it just sort of gives me an urgency to life that I think I need. That's why I love islands so much. I have a thing about islands. I was born on the Isle of Manhattan. I have a lot of formative memories on the island that my aunt lives on in France, and she's the member of my family that I'm closest to. Uh, I like effectively went through puberty on an island in the San Juans where I was sent away to camp every summer growing up. Then Cuba changed my life, and I don't think it's a coincidence that all of these big life events happened on islands. Um, I know I'm kind of rambling now, but nature is, it really feels like a church. Like, it's its what I know religion to be. Um, it reminds me that I have all of the components of nature inside me. And it makes me feel so, so small. And also, like, it's all inside me and it just expands me. And it does come out in my in my writing a lot. Um, I think that there's a lot of earth, rain, moon, trees, water, because um, nature's kind of the ultimate metaphor for everything, at least that's how I feel. There's been a lot of water and ocean imagery for me as of late, and I've always kind of been afraid of the ocean. You know, I'm, I'm earth and mountain, and the ocean was something that scared me and that I sort of was distrustful of. But at this time in my life, I have found warmth in the ocean. I have found warmth in people who have the mutable qualities of water. And it makes sense for where I'm at. I'm dissolving and embracing abstraction. What sign are you? <laughs> it's on my bracelet. I'm a Taurus. I, I knew that. I'm sorry. It is an earth sign. It's like the earthiest earth sign. Wow. But I've got I've got some water. So you are earth. Air. I've got a lot of air in my chart. You're Pisces. Yeah. We're super 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 compatible. We are. Yeah. Pisces and Taurus are. Oh my god, I'm exposing my astro ast astrology ho-dom. Um, yeah, I've thought about that a lot, actually. Like, not necessarily in terms of astrology, but there are people who are more sort of mutable and kind of mixed to the environment or group that they're in. And like that, I mean, if you want to put it in terms of astrology, like a Pisces is known for doing that. And Taurus is known for being very fixed and very like in their ways stubborn bull yeah. um but apparently the two of us are very compatible because uh we both 
know how to dream, but Taurus can get stuck and not believe that those dreams can be reality. And being with someone who is so sort of free flowing and really like indulgent of their imagination can help me to see that in myself. And then for the other person who sometimes could get lost in their dreams instead of stuck down on earth, they need someone who can help them ground their dreams in reality and do them. Wow, okay. That makes sense, actually, because my dad's a Taurus, and that makes sense. My mom's a Pisces. Speaking of your parents, (laughs) how did you, like, did you grow up in an environment where they were supportive of you being an artist? How do they feel about it now? Because you talked about a lot your dad in school, not much about your mom. Yeah, so I'm just wondering, do you have any, wait, do you have siblings? I'm the eldest of five. Oh my god, I had no idea. (laughs) They're my world. My sister just left yesterday. Oh, my God. Okay, tell me the whole thing. Tell me all dynamics and everything. Oh, God. That's like a whole other interview. Well, do you want me to talk about my siblings? Do you want me to talk about... Parents first. Art and parents. Art and parents. Okay. So my family is uh, science, math, engineering. Like, if you go back on my dad's side, so my dad is, like, an engineer and a businessman. If you go back on his side, like, my family is psychiatrists, doctors, um, like, people who worked under Lord Rutherford to discover the atom, military techs, like, just all the way back, like, on, in all branches, like, science, science, science. Um, and then... On my mom's side, it, it's it's a lot of like business, and and I think that my grandfather has this poetic soul, but it just wasn't appropriate at the time, or he didn't feel like it was in the cards for him, and so he went to business school at Harvard, like he was supposed to, and my mom, I think, understands a little more because she is an Emmy award-winning journalist, so. But I didn't really know how they felt. My dad is... I think my dad is one of the last Renaissance men. I will say that about him. He speaks eight languages. He plays guitar, taught himself. He loves all music. He learned all those languages so that he could read all the classics in their original text. He, wow. he loves consuming media, theater music, Shakespeare, art, um, and he is uh, a triathlete and cares very much about physical appearance, fashion, um, keeping your body in shape, eating well, and he is also an engineer and knows everything about every type of math and the cosmos, and he is in finance. Like, he does everything, and art is included in that, And he said to me once that he believed that art and science could not exist without the other. And I've really held on to that in my heart because my dad's not the kind of person who would say, I'm proud of you, but he said that. And I keep that very near and dear to me. And I had a good talk with my mom recently where I expressed disappointment that I felt that my grandparents who are very 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 dear to me would never 
quite believed that what I was doing was a career. And she said that she was so proud of me for pushing the envelope even more than she had because they didn't even really think that her CNN anchor journalist career was a career. So of course they're not going to think that what I'm doing is a career, but she said that she felt like she was pushing the box a little bit, but that she was so proud of me for taking it even farther. And I literally said, really? Because she never said anything like that. I kind of thought that she didn't want me to be an artist because she just knew that it was such an unstable life. You've always been very interested in Shakespeare. I remember when we were in school, you said that your dream was to be in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I'm wondering if that's still the dream. When did you, I mean, obviously, was your dad very interested in Shakespeare? <laughs> My dad is from the place where Shakespeare's born, right. like specifically Stratford-upon-Avon. And so... Shakespeare was always kind of on my radar, just being British. Right. Um, but I think that it started, probably my mom put me in some kiddie acting class, and there is a picture of me at age five or six wearing my mother's pink silk like lingerie slip and reciting Titania's lines from Midsummer in front of a room full of people. I'll try to find the picture and send it to you. But I think that's where it started. And then I just loved reading it in school. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet was like my favorite thing that I ever saw on screen. I, some family friends started inviting me to come along to their trips to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And I've gone every summer since I was 10. And then I started doing these Shakespeare competitions and ended up winning them and going to New York to perform and then I entered um, I, like I became eligible to apply to programs at the Globe in London and then when I was 17 I went to London and, and it just kept growing and growing um, and I I'm very sad that I'm disconnected from it right now. I thought that I would have opportunities to do Shakespeare in college, and I didn't. And that was something that I spoke up about and was very shot down by Emerson. The, I, I was told, Shakespeare's just another playwright. And I don't believe that. And I don't even think the person who said that really believes that. I think she just felt that she had to defend the program. But... I really miss Shakespeare, and OSF is still my Broadway. I, I think the only reason that I'm not really doing anything about it right now is because I don't think I can audition until I believe I could get it. Not know I could get it, but, but believe that I could. Even if I didn't get it the first time, even if I didn't get it the fifth time, I need to believe that I could get it, and I don't. And I think that the universe gives you what you think you deserve. And I don't want to walk into that room until I know 
that I feel that I deserve to be in that room. Yeah, that makes sense. What's your dream role, though, of Shakespeare's canon? Mm. Well, I think I have it broken up into, like, historical or Plantagenet comedy tragedy. I would love to play Cleopatra of the histories. I'm, I've always been obsessed with Cleopatra just as a historical figure since I was, like, little, little. I love anything ancient. Um, ooh, and then tragedy. I want to play Hamlet. Hamlet is my probably ultimate goal, dream. I would love to play Hamlet. And comedy, probably um, Beatrice. She's so fucking fierce. That's my favorite, too. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, would you ever direct? I don't see myself as a director. I don't really feel like I am great at big picture. I think I'm... I pay very close attention to detail. But I don't feel like I have the sort of grand vision that you need to be a director. Every time that I have dabbled in directing, I just found myself wanting to jump over the table and act, which feels like a conflict of interest. discuss a topic that is heavier. We've always been very connected because of mental health. My mental health problems did not reach their climax until after we had already parted as classmates and stuff, but um, when the climax happened most recently... I thought a lot about you because I remembered what you would describe in class of what you were feeling and I just would think to myself, God, I'm feeling so similar to the way that Emily felt. This must be real. Um, So I just want to know what mental health means for you, what your experience is with it, and um, how it's hurt you or moved you forward in terms of art. And then overall, do you believe that artists have to be struggling to make something worthwhile? No! I can't wait until the end to answer that question. I want to scream that from the mountain. There's a line in the bulleted list that I wrote that I'm thinking of. Um, Oh my god, what is it? I think I wrote it down. All writers aren't sad, but all sad people write. I would be absolutely lying if I said that my struggles have not informed my art and like, given me content, but pain does not necessitate art. And I think that the tortured artist trope is so damaging. There's also a difference between heartbreak, life pain, and mental illness. Um, art is a great vehicle to process the pains of life and being... But I think that really exquisite art can come from someone who is in crisis or someone who is really taking care of themselves and putting themselves first. 
and living a fulfilled and well-rounded life. And now the other part of the question, which was about me. Um, I think my relationship with mental health, and maybe everyone's, is a bit of a paradox. Mental illness takes and takes, and poetry helps to heal, but depression makes it hard to write. And maybe I've been writing more because depression makes it really hard to get up and go. And where my acting career is right now, nowhere. Um, Not true. (laughs) I have to be managing myself and running a business. And that administrative shit stuff is near impossible. But writing is hard and scary and vulnerable, but I can still do it from the comfort of being with myself and there doesn't feel like pressure, like doesn't feel like there's pressure. Um, Depression to me is like, oh sorry, like an old friend, maybe an old lover. I don't mean that I have like a loving relationship with depression, but in that it's comfortable, I know it, I know the places we've been together, Um, and it's familiar. And I think my problems come from resistance, that's where where I'm hindered by mental illness. I just got my ass back in therapy. Thank God. Yeah. And the other day, my therapist, who is so cool, she's such badass. I want to tell everyone about my therapist. She gave me her sweater, and she held one end, and she told me to hold the other end, and she told me to pull. And so I pulled, and she pulled back, and she said, What can you do with your hands? And I said, Nothing. And she said, now let go. So I let go. Sweater fell on the ground. And she said, now what? Now what can you do with your hands? I said, I can do anything with my hands. And she said, okay, so that's your depression. It's still there. It's in the room with you. But your hands are free. You're not clinging to it. You're not fighting it. That was pretty mind-blowing. And I think that's the key. I have a friend who will say, do you want to go get drinks? Your depression can come too. Oh my God. I love that. Because most of the time, if I don't want to get out of the house, if I don't want to do something, it's not because I really don't want to do something. It's because I'm like, oh, I can't do it like this. I cannot be where I'm at right now and see my little baby sister or go get drinks with friends or kiss someone. I can't do the things that I want to do and feel like this. Or I can't write or I can't act. But I can do all of those things and still have my depression be there. 
if I'm fighting with it and giving it all my attention, I can't do those things. But when I'm not fighting it, it feels like another necessary part of me. Just something that's there that's a little deeper nestled, but just as important as any other part. That is a very good answer. Thank you. That was so, that was very well said. What was it like the first time you fell in love? (laughs) When I fall in love, I become speechless. And I rearrange words for a living. (laughs) It's like being stirred gently, quietly. You remember you have hands. I remember I have hands. Everything's quiet, including me. Now I have some fun questions. (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite childhood book? Childhood book. I'm trying to remember what I read as a kid. Because I read so much as a kid. I'm such a bad adult. Um, You know what I read the most, that I love the most, that I need on my coffee table as an adult, actually? Dolaire's Book of Greek Myths. Okay. I read that back to front, cover to cover, over and over and over again until I had them all memorized. I've never even heard of it. It's like this big and it's like 600 pages and illustrated as well. And it's like all of Greek mythology. And you read it as a kid? Yeah. Of course you did. <laughs> it's okay. kind of pictures. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, if you could live in a different era, any era any time period, what would it be? Ooh, probably I would go ancient again. I think ancient Egypt would be a good place for me. Um, ancient Greece. Ancient Inca Mayan. I, just, I, I would love to be a part of an ancient culture. If you were to marry any cartoon character, who would it be? Cartoon character. Mm. I'm pretty sure that the like Robin Hood cartoon Fox was a big part of my romantic awakening. That's the only cartoon character that I can think of. I don't know what that says about me. Love it. <laughs> um, if there were a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you? Besides you, obviously. <laughs> Jumpstart the acting career. Mm, 
I feel like Natalie Portman. That's what my gut says, and that feels right. I love Natalie Portman, and I just feel like she could she could do me justice. Can you make a haiku? Mm. About what? I don't know. <laughs> um. You taste like water. Tumble like drown and sink in to the deep ocean. Love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Well, that's all my questions I have for you. But do you have anything else you'd like to add or say? I love you. (laughs) I adore you so much. I'm so happy that I saw you. And... Yeah, I just think ever since I met you, you've just been a very... We don't see each other very often, but we catch up on text often enough. Yeah, and... Yeah, I just feel like our friendship was very, like, slow, and it almost didn't even start until we le- until I left school, which is kind of crazy, but I adore you, and I literally think you're so talented. I can't stand it. But anyway, (laughs) thanks so much for being here. (laughs) And yeah, I guess that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. As I'm sure you could all hear, Emily is quite a layered young woman, but it's honestly only made her a stronger artist, and I'm sure that she's going to do great things in the future. She's already done amazing things, but... She's going to do even more amazing things in the future. If you ever have the chance to read some of her poetry, I highly suggest you do it. I've been lucky enough to get the chance to hear her read her poetry, and she sent some stuff to me, and it's just really beautiful. So if you ever get the chance to, you definitely should. In the meantime, there's a piece that she wrote called Notebook of a Return to an Elevator that's up on the Scout Archives right now, so you should check that out. If you haven't yet, please listen to the last artist date we did with Cecilia Bonner, where we talk about audition technique, giving your all to something, and the gypsy lifestyle of an artist. It was a real pleasure to talk to her, and I hope you guys enjoyed it if you listened. It's also Pride Month, and at the Scout Archives, we're celebrating members and allies of the LGBTQ community. So we're actually putting together a piece about pride and art, so if you have something to say about your own experience correlating those two, you can email us at thescoutarchives at gmail.com or you can message us on Instagram. Thank you again to Emily. Thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon.